Welcome to Dollar Theater. This is the podcast where we review movies that we love, some of which are critically acclaimed, some maybe not so much. The one we're doing tonight, I guess, is the not so much. This is a a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave this two and a half stars. He said it was a mediocre movie with a great movie trapped inside, which I thought (laughs) thought was pretty harsh. Who am I to question Roger Ebert? But I'm going to have to respectfully disagree this time around. We have with us tonight, joining for the first time since we covered Very Bad Things a few months ago, Brandon Lipke and first-time guest, Corinne Foris. Both of you, welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Got it. Uh, So, So I Married an Axe Murderer, 1993. I think if you were to make a time capsule of the 1990s, you would absolutely have to have this VHS copy of this movie in there. Um, right next to your Tamagotchi and your, your case of Pepsi Clear. Um, there, there's so many movies out there from the 80s and 90s that I loved as a kid that I've revisited recently, either just for fun or for this podcast. And then upon revisiting them, I, I've said to myself, like, Ugh, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> and this is not the case here. This is just a, a really great movie. It holds up really well for me. I think it's both simultaneously very funny and there's a great story attached to it. Um, Also a really solid soundtrack. I've got to confess that upon doing the the research and everything for this, this show, I've downloaded a lot of Toad the Wet Sprocket and Spin Doctors. (laughs) Toad the Wet Sprocket slaps. I'm sorry. Like it does not get old. It never does. (laughs) we're we're totally in sync there yes and dave i was gonna say you mentioned the time capsule i was thinking that this movie itself is a time capsule like there's i'm watching mike myers use a thigh master and watch inside edition and i'm like oh my gosh i'm transported to my grandma's house in 1992 like it was just wild it felt so of the moment so yeah he's he's really great in this he's and he's just playing a regular guy and his chemistry with Nancy Travis in this, I think, is really good. There's a really great supporting supporting cast here, led by Anthony LaPaglia and a whole bunch of other people that we're definitely going to talk about. Um, this comes in at a crisp 90 minutes. So you, you, you're not going to get – I don't think I, I hit pause to see how long I had once. And I, I watched this twice to, to get ready for this show. And, yeah, just – Really great movie all around. Glad to be talking about it with both of you. Uh, Corinne, we're actually here because you suggested this movie <laughs> this a little my, while back. So... This was my pet project. Yes. I, right, so I'm obsessed. <laughs> go ahead. What do you like about this movie? Yeah. So this came out in 1993. I was 11. Um, and this in, in my head, I tie this with um, Groundhog Day as like the romantic comedies that shaped the person I am today, um, which is a real weirdo. <laughs> so at first I'm like, oh, I like this stuff because I'm weird. And then I realized I'm like, oh no, I'm weird because I watched these at a very formative age. Um, so yeah, so I don't remember if I saw it at the theater or when it first came out on video, but I know really shortly after it was released, I watched it with my dad, who was a huge, is, um, my dad's a huge SNL fan. And so, you know, we had both, we'd seen Wayne's World we we just like since I was a baby basically been watching SNL and so a Mike Myers movie came out we wanted to see it and it just hit in such a perfect way at that moment in my life where it was it was hilarious it was like aspirational they're living these fantastic lives in in San Francisco and I you know this kid from the Detroit suburbs and it's just it just stuck with me and has never let go so yeah it's it's an absolute favorite Roger Ebert be damned I loved it (laughs) Brandon what do you like about this movie um god that much and more I mean I don't know how much high praise I could actually put on the film um but Everything from the SNL style comedy that Mike Myers threw into the film, uh, especially when the original version was supposed to be more of a, a paranoid horror film. Um, yep. That's sort of uh, described as, all right, let's write Annie Hall, but Annie's the murderer. <laughs> so there was going to be that little uh, semblance of comedy. But really, even Michael Myers says that uh, to him, uh, his character, Charlie, having this big in, in it fear of commitment that is in essence the theme for a horror film and yeah. it's it's such a weird pattern going from like first time i was here i was doing fear which i thought was like even in my teenage years just like a weird strong romantic <laughs> movie and then very bad things which in its ways its own dark comedy but 
this movie as a horror film and a comedy. Um, I, I actually prefer the uh, Mike Myers uh, script. Sure. So that's a great segue. Let's talk about Myers here. We we did touch on him a little bit. We did Wayne's World a few months ago. Um, just really interesting career he's had. It, it's safe to say that this movie we're covering tonight, for a lot of people, if you ask what's the first thing that you think of when you think of Mike Myers, So I Married an Axe Murder might not be the first thing people say. Um, but he makes this movie between Wayne's World films. He does this sandwiched in between Wayne's World 1 and 2. It tanks at the box office. It's a $20 million budget only returned $12, $12 million. Um, this is kind of a, a cult classic as opposed to a blockbuster. And after he did this, he just kind of went back to mostly just grabbing bags, which, you know, good for him. But after this, he rattles off three Austin Powers films, which at some point I'm going to make sure I cover one and two because I love those. And four Shreks, which, you know, after the second one, I was, I got it. We're, we're okay here. There were four Shreks. There were four Shreks. <laughs> way more Shreks than I thought. Okay. It's more than I asked for. Like, a lot of Shreks. Didn't Puss in Boots have a standalone film too? I think that's coming out soon. Oh, yeah. gosh. They're yeah, still so making them. Yeah. There's, there's still some Shrek IP out there. Nice. Nice. Um, there's some other good performances too. I really liked him as a Steve Rebell in 54. He was the sportscaster in Mystery Alaska. So he's, he's had a lot of things, but it's mostly like him in masks and wigs and I, I think his career kind of got derailed a little bit when he did The Love Guru in 2008. <laughs> and then it was just, I have him listed as just doing stuff. In quotes, I have doing stuff. Because that's what he's been doing ever since then. He has the, that weird but great cameo in Inglorious Bastards. He's, he's in the Bohemian Rhapsody for a couple scenes. There's a new David O. Russell film coming out later this year called Amsterdam that, that just has a monster cast. He's part of that. Um, he has a Netflix series, which I didn't watch, called The Pentaverate, which was first referenced by the Stuart character in this movie as being uh, a secret society of people running the world, consisting of the Queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and the Colonel. So that, Wait, that's we something missed Stuart... one. There's the, the Queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, the Colonel, and... Um... The, the Vatican was the other okay. one. <laughs> that's right. I, I, I haven't watched this show, so I don't know. It's so if bad. It's okay. so bad, you guys. I I tried. <laughs> I When they made the announcement, I was like, oh, my God, it's the Pentaverate. It's the wee beady eyes. And I was so excited. And then I sat down and tried to watch the first episode, and it was just painful. <laughs> so I'm really sorry, Mike Myers. I'm sorry. I'm sure that that was a passion project, but I could not watch past the first episode. And even so, that, I don't know that I finished. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to take that off the list, right? The, yeah. the, the quote unquote list that doesn't actually exist. It, it's gone. Scratch. But just really interesting career. But when you look back at it, this is kind of the only movie he's done where he's just a guy. You know, I know he's Stewart in this as well. He, he plays both roles. But for the most part, He's just a regular dude and he, he's really good. I like this. And it's kind of, it's, it's weird that we didn't, I wish we, I love his career. I love everything he's done, but I, I kind of wish that we got more roles like this because he was really good at just playing a person as opposed to somebody under prosthetics and wigs. And yeah, he just really interesting career. Corinne, any thoughts on him in this movie or in general? Yeah, I mean, I really bought him as a romantic lead in this. Like, he was a goofball, but he was a legitimate, like, he, it didn't seem crazy that Nancy Travis would be interested in Mike Myers in this yeah. film, um, which I like, because I think in a lot of other stuff, like, like yeah, Wayne had the the inexplicable appeal, but, like, in general, that's not usually the role he's in, and so I liked that, too, and I thought it was a nice departure from the the big production kind of stuff that he tended to do so I will always associate him with this movie I've seen the Austin Powers films I've seen apparently a small percentage of the Shreks um <laughs> but I, yeah this is it for me like this is just the Mike Myers movie to me Brandon I agree with both of you I really wish he did get more characters especially since I think this is the only movie that he never played especially between when he started with snl and what 89 or 90 until he left in 95 everything you know he did was a character from yep. from that show and uh not saying i think there's another character in this movie that's based off a character off of saturday night live so. yeah um 
no um him in 54 i mean he proved that he has range it's just yeah it's unfortunate what i mean he got caught in the austin powers franchise darn you know, like that didn't provide anything for him like a, a star on the walk of fame and then yeah the shrek franchise so it's that's he, the shrek he, cinematic universe yeah well <laughs> agreed i just the, wish, the scu yeah. <laughs> he should have been joe every day um like dana carvey even you know his career both of them being in wayne's world he only had one like main movie part where he was just a regular guy and i think he was like a con artist clean slate back in the early 90s yep um but yeah everything else is just re- reduced to character acting at that point right all right so nancy travis here is the co-star of this film she shares the poster with myers i have to confess as a kid i don't know if this is a popular take or this is just i'm an idiot but I always got her mixed up with Elizabeth Shue. They were just the same person to me through, throughout my childhood. And now I obviously can tell the difference because, because you see Elizabeth Shue a lot more. And so I, that, I think that's just a me thing as opposed to like a universal take. Uh, but I always just confuse the two of those. And she's had kind of an interesting career as well. You could make the case that this movie is the top of the mountain for her. I, I don't, she's been in a lot of other things. The first thing I saw her in was the Three Men and a Baby franchise. Uh, there was another another film in 94. I don't know if either of you caught this one. You're greedy? Oh, yes. No. Okay. Michael J. Fox and uh, Kirk Douglas. Phil Hartman? Oh, Phil Hartman, yes. Yeah, Such just a, a great monster movie. cast. So, Corinne, greedy is all these family members. Michael J. Fox is the lead of this movie. Nancy Travis plays his wife or girlfriend, I forget. Um, Kirk Douglas is the uncle of this family who's about to die. And it's all of these people, Phil Hartman, Ed Begley Jr., they're all relatives. And they're waiting for him to die so they could fight over his will. So it's and like a 90s Knives Out? Based kind of. <laughs> okay. well, yeah, yeah. That's, funny. That's, er. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So there's a bunch of awful people. Michael J. Fox is like the, the nice family member. And yeah, just Phil Hartman just plays a, a shit heel. And he's just, he's so good in this. I, that's That's one... Usually I try to cover movies that like people are aware of, but somewhere down the line, that might be just a, a one for me. <laughs> I'll, I'm, I'll keep track. That sounds like that would be something I would like. So <laughs> yes, I will absolutely check it out. Definitely recommend. And then kind of after that, she did a lot of TV. I remember uh, a Stephen King miniseries from the early 2000s called Rose Red that she was in. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's yeah. been in a sitcom. She was in a sitcom for 10 years, Last Man Standing. I didn't watch it. I know it's popular. She was Tim Allen's wife in that. Yeah. I that didn't watch 10 seasons. It did. <laughs> it sure did. Yeah. Um, I went through a real hard Becker phase in I know the she was early in 2000s. And so I really enjoyed her in Becker. Um, but yeah, I think I, I knew her first from, from Three Men and a Baby and Three Men and a Little Lady. Um, I was really surprised to find out she wasn't British because <laughs> she was in that role um but yeah so i i think that um she was great on becker i i don't know i like i said i never watched last man standing i'm, I'm sure that she was probably the highlight of it yeah i just it, there was another show the kaminsky method a netflix series that had three seasons with michael douglas she was in that too so she, it's not like she's she's just faded away into obscurity she's always been working but you know coming out of this and seeing greedy in 94 this was 93 94 and the three men and a baby franchise you might have thought she would she was going to have a monster career that, you know, didn't transpire like that. And it's kind of just a little head, bit of a head scratcher. Uh, Brandon, any thoughts on her in general or in this movie? Um, other than the Three Men and a Baby uh, series, I actually recognize her because it happens to be one of my uh, non-guilty pleasure favorite movies, Chaplin, with uh, Robert Yes, Jr. yes. Yeah, she played a, a bit part in that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, she, she, you speak of uh, confusing her with Elizabeth Shue. I go back even farther into the 80s. I actually mistook her for Crystal Bernard from Wayne's. Okay. And that, yeah, it was, it. The, it was the big hair. They both had the big hair <laughs> and face, facial features. But um, Andy McDowell, too, goes into that category for me. Sure. It's like the big, the big 90s hair. And it could be why she didn't have that big of a career, because we, we just mentioned all these people that <laughs> could have been getting all these roles. And just to confess, I almost, I almost said, holy shit, I forgot to mention Adventures in Babysitting. And that (laughs) was Elizabeth too. So it it hasn't gone away. I'm I'm still an idiot at 41 years old. So, (laughs) 
Um, there's a monster supporting cast in this movie that we should probably hit on here. Um, I guess the lead, the, thir- the third build in this is Anthony LaPaglia. Well, I'll confess, this isn't the first thing I think of when I think of him. I, I go right to Empire Records. Um, Amanda Plummer is in this as Rose, the sister. Also, not the first thing I think of. I think of her as Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. Um, then you just got like a lot of these people who just show up for like a scene or two. And according to the internet research, which I'll step on a little bit, a lot of these people are here just because they wanted to work with Mike Myers, and the, which is great. Uh, Alan Arkin is here as the police chief who does who thinks he's too nice, so he's trying to be he's trying to be meaner and he's throwing some ethnic slurs around. He, he's <laughs> and he's so uncredited. Funny. When I was rewatching, I, know, I yeah. was like, I, I I didn't trust my eyes. I'm like, that is that Alan Arkin? And then I looked up the cast list; he's not in it. Right. And that I, I yeah, it was incredible. He was so good. Yep. Charles Grodin is in this for, in, for one scene. He's doing deadpan, and it's the only the only actor I know who could do deadpan and make me like laugh out loud. Yep. He's just like, I need to commandeer this vehicle. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Wright as the pilot, the yep. terrible, terrible pilot. Oh, yep. my gosh. I The other one that, that got me was Michael Richards. Like, yeah, that, yeah. His, his turn as the the um obituary writer was just oh my gosh he was so funny in that scene yeah he's doing kramer and that (laughs) you got me i'm a bad person i'm a bad person it's incredible (laughs) and obviously the big one which we've been quoting all week in in our group chat (laughs) offline is phil hartman as vicky just which i'll I'll save that because i got that in my favorite (laughs) scenes but there's a a, just a lot of people in this movie that kind of just show up one scene, leave. They leave leave their stamp on the movie. Uh, Corinne, you talked about them. Who, who kind of stands out for you when, when you think of the supporting cast? I mean, obviously, nobody beats Phil Hartman. Um, no. But I think I Alan Arkin stole the show for me on this one. Every single time he was on my screen, I was laughing. And yeah. it was I just loved it. I loved every little bit of energy he brought to that role. So, yep. yeah, I think that he's got to be one of my favorites. And then Brenda Fricker, who yeah. I always think of her as the pigeon lady from home alone too (laughs) but i loved her in this like she brought this warmth she she humanized i think both charlie and stewart like it it made sense why charlie would fall for nancy who's this really warm person because that's his mom but by the same token she's making out with tony like it was (laughs) i she (laughs) she contained multitudes and i appreciated it (laughs) so i like to see a woman of a certain age like go for it so (laughs) she was was great great. too yeah uh brandon who stood out for you uh for me it would have to be anthony lopeglia um he is definitely in my uh top two for six men later on um for the sole fact that all these great cameos that you uh two mentioned he was in a scene with every single one of them. Yep. I mean, he, he's yeah. like the Jack Burton of this movie where he is just painted as the side character, but he's the one that actually goes through the hero's story, the journey to try and save his friend at the end. Um, but. And gets to uh, lead, live his Serpico dreams at the oh, same time. <laughs> finally. <laughs> All it took was a guy that wouldn't let him come into Deer's vehicle, a pilot willing to, you know, fly through a storm. Um, yeah, I mean, so you know, he was great. Yeah. All right. So before we get to scenes, let me put you both on the spot here, and I'll ask you where does this rank in your Mike Myers sphere? Because I have it, I have it at three. I have. Uh, Austin Powers two and one as my as my top two, and then I have this at three, and then I go Wayne's World two and Shrek. That would be my Myers top five. Uh, you don't have to give me a full top five if you don't have it handy. But w- where do you have this in your ranking of Mike Myers movies, Corinne? I think this is number one for me. It okay. really is. I I think it goes this this at one, Wayne's World at two, um, okay. probably original Austin Powers at three. I. I was okay with Austin Powers. I don't, I was a little bit like, I wasn't quite as into it, I think, as a lot of people in my demographic, but (laughs) I, I, yeah, I would say it goes there and those are my, those are my top three. The rest fall somewhere down the line. Sure. Yeah. Brandon? Uh, This would have to be my number two with uh, Wayne's World 1 being number one, uh, sandwiched in between Wayne's World 2 there, and then the uh, first and second Austin Powers, the second one being ahead of the first. Okay. All right. Yeah. Same as Shrek. By the time we got to Austin Powers 3, I was just kind of like, all right, yeah. 
yeah, we got it. And he, you know, gold member is kind of doing the same accent that Stuart does in this movie. I was like, all right. Yeah. I got the gist here. We're, we're okay. Right. And it, you, you go on to Mike Myers, IMDb and Austin powers four has been there as announced since oh, I, I think like, I think like 2008 it's been there since. So, <laughs> you know, any day now they're, they're right. going to they're, they're gonna start production on that. Oh, all man. right. So good, good stuff here. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll start talking about our favorite scenes. We are back. Favorite scenes. So the first one I have written down here is I have it written down as family dinner. And this is this is the first time we see uh, Charlie's parents, Stuart and May. Uh, Stuart is dancing to Ned's Atomic Dustbin Saturday night. It's just it's it's kind of Mike Myers doing his shtick here. And uh, they come in. Charlie and Tony's like, give your mother a kiss or I'll kick your teeth. And I'm not even trying to do the accent. <laughs> and it tells his wife, he's like, May, shut it. And this is where, you know, his parents were, I guess, early on, the people who spent too much time on the Internet, even before there was the Internet, because he's, we talked about the Pentaveret. Stuart's talking about the Pentaveret. And May is referring to the Weekly World News as the, as the paper. He shows them the man gives birth. She's like, that's a fact. <laughs> we get the iconic scene in this where uh, Stuart is yelling at his at his as at Heed. Heed. <laughs> he's like it's like an orange on a toothpick. He's like it's like a virtual planetary. It has its own weather system. <laughs> I love that's when he tells like... him to go cry tears into his giant pillow. That's my <laughs> that's my favorite little burn on Heed. <laughs> I gotta admit, this was this and and Vicky were the first to be. I hadn't seen this movie in years. Those never left my psyche I, i'm fully aware of those scenes uh corinne what'd you think of the scene it was fantastic the introduction to both parents yeah i i just i loved everything about it poor heed i think that we <laughs> one time we hear that his name is william charlie's <laughs> the only person who uses his name um yeah. that was another hilarious cameo from the kid who was the the smart ass in the mighty ducks yep. that made me really happy too i had just i for the first time in decades, I just showed my son who's seven, the mighty ducks. And I'd forgotten about that character and how funny I looked him up. It looks like he's mostly a writer now. Yep. Um, but yeah, he was just, just by being there with that ridiculous hairdo, like he just really <laughs> was, he was a great addition to this movie, but I loved the dynamic. I loved Tony reacting to the parents. I've, I had read that some of that was maybe not scripted. His, yeah, his laughter. You know. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it was great. It made me want to go have dinner with the Mackenzie's real dad. <laughs> Brandon, what would you think I see? Oh, I love the scene. Um, kind of scary, but also I, I can relate to being like the Italian boy being invited into the pure Irish household. It's, <laughs> it's a, a different energy, but um, uh, or a Scottish household. But the, um, <laughs> the whole scene with Charlie and his mom uh, definitely establishes the whole story other than her paranoid ramblings with the Weekly World News, um, <laughs> finding that one you know, lottery ticket story that might actually bear a grain of truth. And it right. It just so happens to be with her son. Um, but it's, it's such a great relationship between those two. Um, and then you finally get to see her, um, her mother latch onto Tony on the way out. <laughs> last good night kiss in. Um, Full on makeout sesh. It is. She saw her like opportunity. Was... Yeah, shoot your shot. You know? Yes. Yeah. Stuart was passed out in his chair. What are you gonna do? It was a very <laughs> emotional soccer game. <laughs> uh Corinne, what's the scene you like? Um, so I I and, and I know Alcatraz is gonna come up, so I, I can wait a second on that one. I'm gonna go different. Um I love when they're flirting at the butcher shop. Yeah, that's I, my next one. Okay, okay. I think that's fantastic. I just, it was stupid and funny and weirdly hot. And I just don't, <laughs> I don't know. It was just crazy. The 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 Rush song play, not the song Rush, not Rush the band. Yeah. Like, that wasn't like Tom Sawyer. Um, but I loved everything about that scene. I There was a um, kind of internet trivia thing that came up about Nancy Travis. Yeah, in, yeah. Incurring I yeah, yep. she, do you want me to wait or should I? Yeah, yeah, table it. We'll, okay, I, all right, I'll I, table I it. Where you're going. To, yep. be, to be continued, but yeah, yep. there was a lot about it that was great. <laughs> yeah, Myers is kind of just doing his thing here. It looks like none of, you, you talked about like improv in the last scene. I think there's a lot of improv here. Mm -hmm. I did have some questions. Like she randomly like asks him to help at the butcher shop, like doesn't ask for any references or 
an application or a background check. Right. Tells him to get four porterhouses. He knows where those are automatically. Well, he established that his dad was also a butcher. So sure. apparently it's just in his blood. Is, yeah. <laughs> I still had questions nonetheless, but, you know, I'll, I'll suspend disbelief. Um, you know, he makes the one steak come out of his stomach like an alien. Um, he's mooing at the, he's making the, the meat moo. So it sounds like it's still alive. He and does the like, severed hand trick. Yeah, Mom, can you get the school nurse? <laughs> Yep. Yeah, he, he, Myers is, is cooking here. Uh, Brandon, what did you think of that scene? Oh, I, I really enjoyed the scene. It's, I think anyone who says the word haggis in a butcher shop, if <laughs> they don't, if they can't work behind the saw, they own the place. Yeah. Um, so he obviously knew what he was doing. But um, that whole day, just being in their own little worlds, um, without much words being said to each other, establishing that relationship between each other. I mean, It'd be odd to say that that was like their first date. Right. It was really more of like, <sighs> all right, so the man knows his way around the butcher shop. Do I give him a chance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, haggis, pretty expensive. It was it was 1975 for that, that little little thing in, in 1993. I can't. That, I thought be the like same thing. Now. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's pricey. Yeah, and apparently it's terrible. So I, I, you know, I don't have the budget for that. I don't. I don't think. Brandon, did you say it's illegal? Yeah, since uh, the seventies, you can't sell the actual haggis in the United States because of its uh, makeup. <laughs> it's actually sheep lung. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there goes my Sunday dinner. Let's... <laughs> You're welcome. I wonder what they're serving at all the Highland festivals. Then <laughs> they're calling. <laughs> it's like a Taco Bell meat situation. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what's the scene you like? Um, I'll be moving a little further in. Um, one of my favorites is the wedding scene. Um, sure. Okay. Not to give anything away. It's in the title. Um, <laughs> but seeing Charlie's mom barely being out, able to stand with all of her makeup just pouring down her face. Um, and then uh, Nancy Travis starting to sing Only You, which was one of the uh, clues to uh, the identity of Mrs. X, the yep. killer. Um not only does she sing it to him, she sings it in the six different languages of the victims. <laughs> uh, no, one of her ex-husbands was like a lounge singer that could sing it in six different languages. And that was yep. the deadpan giveaway between Charlie and Tony. It's like, all right, I committed to this, but this she could still be the murderer. Right. Um, but then, of, then of course, um, Stuart being the, the father figure, uh, running the whole celebration, doing Rod Stewart's, uh, <laughs> uh, what is it? What if you think I'm sexy. Uh -huh. If you think I'm sexy to, um, <laughs> bagpipes. And yeah. Yeah. Great, great scene time. there. I like, I, at one point he says, let's get pissed. Yeah. Is, is very Scottish accent that I won't try to do. I think he was still in the church when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was I, that is the most quoted part of that film from my family is a piper is doing that was every single okay and I'm Scottish right so it's gotten real weird at every funeral I've been to because my dad or I will like be like psst, psst, piper is doing and we're cracking up like it's you know sorry grandpa but like that was pretty funny to us so <laughs> it was that was a big that was a, a big like takeaway point from the movie was that yeah. line <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'm going to rewind a little bit the next one i have here i just have i've written down as vicky so we, we, <laughs> we could do we do we could do our hartman stuff now uh this scene i it opens up with spin doctors two princes playing which is i, I immediately was like holy shit i don't have that on my playlist <laughs> and I, I downloaded that when i was just downloading uh, all the spin doctors and toad the wet sprocket <laughs> but you know i i did have another question mark here i was like you know some friends they, they just you want to meet up for a beer it seems like tony and charlie go to alcatraz on tours a lot because they knew who the tour guides were it, it seems like this is something that they do on a, on a regular basis and then okay, we get i get this though i've been to alcatraz it is a weirdly fun place like okay I, the vibes i i don't again i don't know if this is me impeccable vibes at Alcatraz. I <laughs> loved it. I You get off the boat and there's all these little activities and it's like Ranger Katie is presenting Shanks and Shivs in the infirmary. And it's, it's so fun. I, if you have not been to Alcatraz, it's, it's fun it's as on hell. List now. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'd go all the time if I lived there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we get the intro to Phil Hartman here, who is John Johnson, but everyone here calls him Vicky. 
and I just, even in 90, I, I saw this in 93 for the first time. I knew this was like a big cameo in 93. I, I love Phil Harmon. I, I was not a, like a religious SNL viewer, but I, I knew who this guy was from like various things I'd seen him in. And it just, you know, he's in this, he's in this movie for about two minutes and he, he just, he just lights it up and he's, he's talking about, um, the solitary confinement cell. He's like, this came to be known as Times Square. <laughs> and, he's, yep. and he's, he's like, Machine Gun Kelly had what we call in the prison system a bitch. It's like, in one night in a jealous rage, Kelly took a makeshift knife or a shiv and cut out the bitch's eyes. And if this wasn't enough retribution for Kelly, the next day, he and four other inmates took turns pissing into the bitch's ocular cavities this way to the cafeteria <laughs> i'm really glad you did the whole speech i feel like that's, <laughs> that was essential yeah. just he's in this yeah just youtube it it's it you can spend two minutes of your life it's just it's so good i love him so much and everything he's in it is great and you know obviously he was taken from us way too soon but yeah just phenomenal scene here uh brandon what'd you think of hartman in this movie Oh gosh, uh, just, I, when I think of it, other than the speech, immediately I see the fragment of the second word. Charlie is hearing this whole thing going on, and then he wants to continue his own conversation. In the look <laughs> that Bill Hartman gives, I mean, to say the least. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, like you said, gone way too soon. Probably my favorite um, final scene of any character uh, retiring from SNL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his final scene, they took him out with a song. The show was the show must go on. And then uh, there's Matt Foley sitting on the stage in the spotlight. And Phil Hartman comes right next to him and gives him a nice big squeeze and a <laughs> Phil Hartman smile. Um, yes. Yeah, so great. The jingle all the way comes to mind right away is something he was great in the supporting role. Uh, news radio was a sitcom I watched regularly. So just like one of the all time greats. I, I love him. And it was, it was great that he was in this movie, even if it was just for that one quick scene. Love it. The, the last one I have written down here is the honeymoon. And that's, that's the very end of the movie. Did either of you have any, anything you wanted to touch on before we got there? So I'm a big fan of architecture in movies and the, the, in that they go to, which I think is the Dunsmuir estate. It's been in a okay. whole bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, just perfect. Like the absolute perfect kind of place for them to go. Everything up to them staying in like the Robbie Williams suite and stuff. Like it was just, I, I loved all of the literary references. I loved all the Scottish references. But anyway, the the fact that they're the youngest people there by like 70 years yeah. <laughs> is amazing. I, I was at the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island, Michigan, and I've absolutely had that experience where it's like, oh, I bring the average in this room down a lot. <laughs> and I was like 35. <laughs> so um, I, I liked I liked that there was that that kind of fish out of water situation. Um, and then it was the perfect setting for the ultimate kind of final action sequence, too. Yeah. So this is where uh, Amanda Plummer is revealed. Let me just rewind a little bit before we get to that. I thought she had a really funny scene before it's revealed that she, she's actually the axe murderer where uh, Harriet is left and he's just left alone with Rose and sh she's trying to make him breakfast. <laughs> and she, she goes, what would you say to silver dollar pancakes and fresh squeezed orange juice? And Charlie's just like, okay. And then in the very next scene, she's just pouring Fruit Loops and she's like, yeah, I didn't have any of those other things. <laughs> it was so awkward. Everything about, and they're just having, he's talking about Apple Jacks because he doesn't know what to do with himself. And she insinuates that like, oh, I won't tell, I won't tell Harriet that we did that. He's like, you won't tell Harriet what? What is happening? <laughs> it, was, it was tremendously uncomfortable. <laughs> so we get. We get this scene here. I, I thought it was really funny. Like Charlie asking the bellhop to stay for a nightcap. And he, he's just like, no, I, I can't. And he's like, stay for a nightcap. And the guy Screams. just runs away. <laughs> he, probably, he, he winds up locking Harriet in the closet. And then we see the, the fake note where, which Rose wrote where uh, Charlie is, is leaving her. And uh, just the, the battle on the roof. Uh, the, the one scene, I guess I remember from the trailer in the movie where she throws the axe and it just misses it, catches the top of the roof. That's like a, a very well shot scene there. Mm -hmm. um, they have a fight. She's eventually apprehended and presumably Charlie and Harriet go on their way to live happily ever after. 
Corinne, what'd you think of the end of this movie? So I liked the slap the slapstick element too of um Tony questioning Harriet in the room. And he's like, Do you mean to tell me they're up on the roof right now? And you're just <laughs> hearing this like bam, ah, like every time. <laughs> it's just I, again, one of those things I just remember my dad and I just tears streaming down our faces watching that scene. Um, so I loved that. I loved that Tony got his hero moment. Um, I'm glad that that Rose survived. I, I think they, they could have they could have chucked her off the roof there and that would have been a slightly different tone at right, the end right. of this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I loved that scene. I loved the end. I thought it didn't it look great. like I might be wrong, but it didn't look like she had handcuffs on in the back of the cop car because she was just like freely like in the back, just looking out, looking oh, out at yeah. the scenery. Yeah. <laughs> But he, so in his I, last poem, he talks about how she's she's good. She she's she appreciates the structure of being incarcerated. <laughs> Brandon, what'd you think of the ending? I think it, it's very suitable for the story. I mean, again, if this were supposed to be in some way inspired by Annie Hall, the, I mean, the original ending would have been uh, something penned along the line of every uh, like Harriet did, in fact. Uh, kill her ex-husbands and every year he's going back uh, to prison to visit her and you know happy anniversary darling um, yeah you know this ending is a lot more justified it gives a lot of characters closure and again with the slapstick um, I must have a little too crass of a memory because you know you recalled the whole axe between the fingers uh, routine <laughs> I see them, uh, Rose and Charlie, struggling with the axe in both arms, and then uh, Rose kicking him in the groin gets that <laughs> little wince, and but out of instinct he tries doing it to her, and then nothing, and he the frown just you know just staggers down even more. Yeah, it's some yeah. of that great comedy that he, uh, the physical comedy that he actually brought in from Saturday Night Live and incorporated in the movie, which made it that much better. Yeah, no, I thought that I thought that was a great action sequence there, and a good ending to the movie. So, great job on the scenes. According to the internet, uh, Corinne, I'll let you lead this one because you mentioned you alluded to something that I also have in my notes here. Yeah, uh, something that happened in the butcher scene. So Absolutely, this was all over the internet every time I looked for anything. So, in that scene where Harriet and Charlie are flirting in the butcher shop. Nancy Travis supposedly got so caught up kind of watching the physical comedy that Mike Myers was doing that she actually severed the tip of her finger in yep. one of the slicing machines, which is a nightmare. But yeah, and and according to the lore of it all, she was yelling, cut, cut, like, I've been cut. <laughs> and no. Actually, no, I'm cut. <laughs> being on a film set, that yeah. has another meaning. So it was, you know, a little fun who's on first moment. So, um, but yeah, I, I believe it was reattached. I don't think that yeah. it affected her life too much i'll have to go back and watch becker and look at her hand and see if i can tell but yeah that i thought that was that was pretty funny yeah no yeah tough tough beat for her she finished the movie so it, you know didn't, didn't affect her I, I did look i did try to like find the place where it might have happened but I, I i couldn't see after like i rewound that scene a couple times right um but yeah yeah that, that you know you don't like uh, my friend Glenn, who's on with us a few times, he's always he's a big uh, stickler for injuries on movie sets. So I'm sure he would have if he was here, he would have had some takes on that. <laughs> um, I have. So I, I usually like start these with the casting almost. There's some notable ones here. Uh, Sharon Stone was originally cast to play Harriet, but wound up, you know, you, you go through different parts of Google, different pages. And you say fired or let go or quit. Um, she wanted to play Rose, Harriet and Rose. You, you, you see Myers as Stewart and Charlie, and you're like, yeah, this is a guy who, you know, in 93, you didn't know he was going to play four or five, six parts in the Austin Powers films and in all these other things. Comedic actresses, I, I don't know, Sharon Stone really comes to mind. So playing these dual roles, which she wanted to do, and the studio was not on board with this, was ultimately led to her leaving the film to be set aside for Nancy Travis here. I, I don't know. This doesn't work for me. It, it, it's really weird. I thought Sharon Stone might've been cool because this is 93. She was one of the hottest actresses at the time. Uh, one of the biggest names. And so that would have worked here. Just really weird. You know, this might not even be true. We call this according to the internet. It might not, this might not even be true, but the fact that she wanted to play Harriet and Rose, I just thought was weird. It seemed like a weird choice. Uh, Corinne, any thoughts on that? 
I think it would have been a really different movie. I think yeah. with the original concept that it that might have worked, um, or if there was some sort of like a hybrid between the original and what it turned out to be. Um, but I don't know. I I can only see Sharon Stone in these very like powerful, kind of tough women kind of roles. And I think what works for this is that Nancy Travis is like soft. She's gentle. She reminds him of his mom. Like I think that. I don't think that would have worked with a Sharon Stone or the other almost I saw was Kim Basinger. Yeah. It's another one I had as well. Yeah. I just, I think there's too much glam maybe for those yeah. two. Like I think Nancy Travis in a like insanely beautiful, a famous actress kind of way, like feels a little bit more girl next door. I think than right. those other casting choices would have definitely so, more, more approachable, I guess. Yeah. Like it, it makes more sense. So I think, I think that this was the right call. You had mentioned, uh, you know, you, you found it realistic that Myers could just get her in the butcher shop. You know, Kim Basinger. Yeah. In I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I have questions. No, I don't think that would have. <laughs> it would have taken a little more effort. Uh, Brandon, any any of those a hard no, or you think either of those would have worked? No, both of them a hard no. Um, <laughs> especially in '93, if you're going to make Mike Myers your leading man, somebody that hasn't proven himself in that part, you don't put someone of equal tier or higher stardom as his female counterpart i just I, I don't think any of the major stars at that time would have worked someone who might not have been known as well as nancy travis uh or maybe someone who had tv experience rather than film experience probably would have uh played well in that part but uh kim basinger as harriet no sharon stone as either of the sisters or both of the sisters definitely yeah, yeah. I, I, I like where we wound up here. There were some, in addition, there were also some for casting almost for Charlie. Uh, this part was apparently originally written for Chevy Chase, which I don't might have worked. Uh, 90, 93, his, his, he was kind of fizzling away at that point. Uh, but maybe uh, Albert Brooks and Martin Short were also considered. I don't, you know, when we do these, we always see these considered. It, these people were considered and I just looked at Yeah, th this might not even happen, but it's, you know, we're doing a podcast. So it's, it's fun to at least speculate. Albert Brooks, he's a little older. That would have been a different movie. I think this was like shortly after defending your life. I've always been a big fan of his. I don't know if this would have worked, but yeah, I, my, Myers is, is perfect in this. I don't think, I don't see either any of those guys playing Stewart as well and having it, having it be great. So I, ultimately I like where we, we wound up, but Corinne, Chase, Brooke, Short, and it, those are big it, names. They're huge names. Um, I think it depends on when we that was happening. Because, I, I mean, if this was written and they thought about it for a long time, I, I think that if this was 10 years earlier, maybe that would make a little bit more sense. But to try right. to do... And, he, and again, I, I'm, I always put this with Groundhog Day in my head, like Bill Murray was a little older at that point, and that made it a little bit of a different movie. And and so, you know, this to me was like the younger, hipper, they're really leaning into the San Francisco poetry scene and all of that. Like, I think that would have been harder to do with, a, with an older cast if they were actually trying to, to do it in that same time frame. So, and plus, like, Chevy Chase has a, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I, I There's a, there's a little bit of a douchebaggery to Chevy oh, yeah. Chase no, he's, that he's well documented he's yeah. not easy to work with and I I think that that would have would have hurt the kind of boyish charm of the Charlie character if you sure. had Chevy Chase in that role yeah uh Brandon any thoughts on any of those from you no like Kern touched upon um if there wouldn't have been any boyish anything if <laughs> Albert Brooks or Martin Short had that part yeah um, it would have had to change the story completely like he ran into his brother's granddaughter's butcher shop and fell in love with, you know, some, you know, 40 year old woman there. Right. Even in the 90s. Hey, watch how you say 40 year old woman, man. Jeez. <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm <laughs> All right. Um, I have one more little tidbit. Did either of you have anything you wanted to cite from, from the internet? All I have is the weird, obscure fact of something that I actually learned. The uh, car that uh, Charlie drives around was actually used in one of my favorite movies, Sneakers. Oh, great. Oh, Robert Redford. Yes. Um, I think that was, it was just because the car was left at Columbia. I think the Sneakers was made the year before. Okay. So we just had one chilling there. <laughs> yeah, it was one of, one of the last River Phoenix movies, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, great film. Dan Aykroyd as well. So, yeah, solid. I've seen it twice. I got to revisit it at some point. Love that movie. The last one I have written down here was apparently there's there's a deleted scene with Harriet and Charlie, and they have a child. It flash forwards flash forwards a couple years later. I saw this twice on the internet. Um, and their son is named Stuart. They named him after his father. Couldn't find it. I, I typed, uh, so I married an axe murder, deleted scenes. Usually when I read about deleted scenes, you can find them running YouTube. This doesn't there. This wasn't there on Wikipedia. It said that it exists, but I, I can't find it anywhere. I don't know if it does exist. I, it does exist. Uh, I don't know. So apparently there was a deleted scene. They have a kid. But so we could just choose to believe they lived happily ever after if, if we're doing a sequel ever. So. all right so we'll do uh we'll segue into trivia now i got i got one here so we talked about the the lack of box office success for this movie in its first weekend so i married an axe murderer finished 11th at the box office it opened july 30th 1993 the number one movie that that weekend was rising sun with sean connery and wesley, wesley snipes, snipes which i know i've seen but I, I don't ask me anything about it i don't know anything other than the stars so that was the number one movie that week. Um, there were a ton of other big movies in there. I'm going to give you a list. And all of these were in the top 10, except for one. I don't expect you to have this information handy in your brain. It's basically a, a guessing game. But Corinne, I'll leave with you. I'll lead with you. And then Brandon, you can take the second crack out of it. Every movie on this list was in the top 10 the week of July 30th, 1993, except for one. Jurassic Park. Coneheads, Sleepless in Seattle, Free Willy, The Firm, or Cliffhanger. One of those was not in the top 10. I feel like the right answer should be Coneheads, but I bet it isn't. Okay. Um, oh, I don't know why I'm going to go Cliffhanger. All right, Cliffhanger. Brandon? Oh, man. I want to say the firm was a, a year or two later. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the firm. Okay, Corinne, you got it. It, it was cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have the list in front of me anymore, but I know I know this is right. But yeah, the firm the firm was in there. Uh, yeah, really weird. Rising Sun. I guess I was you know you get a Sean Connery Wesley Snipes movie in '93. That's that that'll draw people. You know when people actually went to the theaters. So, <laughs> but yeah, I have to revisit that at some point. Um, don't revisit Coneheads. Not recommended. We covered it uh, about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that's one that has not held up. <laughs> yeah, we we like we liked it for the you know Adam Sandler and the one scene he's in, uh, a young Chris Farley, David Spade. Sure. And then at the end when they went to what, Melmac, was that the that, no, that's that Elf's planet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't remember where the Coneheads people are from. Yeah, I, it might have been the planet name. The movie totally lost us when they, they did this like bad i don't know cgi is what you'd even call it it, it was narthal the garthok that was the the, oh the the villain yeah yeah it had a bad third act it was <laughs> but until that it, i think when we did that show a year ago i think we all liked it until the until the end but yeah that, that was a movie we covered last year i love it <laughs> all right uh awards time mvp this wasn't uh this wasn't much to think about for me this is mike myers movie this you know i think we all have this in our top five of his, his filmography. And I just thought he was, he was funny playing dual roles, which, you know, obviously he did Austin Powers a year. We didn't know we, he had this in his wheelhouse in 93 until he did Austin Powers. And I, I just thought he was great in both roles. Uh, I loved him in this movie. He was, he was really funny and he was just cooking from start to finish. So I didn't really have much to think about here. I don't know if either of you did. Corinne, where'd you go? MVP. It's got to be. I mean, that the, just the character of Stewart is iconic. I noticed that he um, it, he dropped the evil pronunciation in this movie, <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, okay, I wonder if that foreshadowing. was... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I love Nancy Travis. The supporting cast was great, but you're right. It's Mike Myers' movie. Yeah. Brandon? Oh, without a doubt, it's Mike Myers. Yeah. Maybe the easiest uh, easiest <laughs> one we've had, we've had to do on the show. Maybe not the easiest one, however, six man. So just for people listening who don't watch basketball, six man is somebody who comes off the bench, not the star of the team. They might come in for five minutes, hit four threes, have two assists and go back to the bench. And LeBron James or Kevin Durant or what have you 
pick your basketball reference, takes over the game again. Uh, there are so many to choose from here that it, it, this was actually really tough. I thought I knew my answer. Usually when I we, we book a show, I know we, we we set this one up in like maybe early July. And I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely go and Phil Hartman. And then upon watching this again, I, I changed my mind and I went with Alan Arkin. I just, as the police chief, I just, I, he's so funny. I, I he's like, Hey, Paisan. <laughs> he's like, was it too much with the ethnic slurs? And he's like, he tells him one time, he's like, back off Italian boy. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's talking about the case. And he's like, keep off this one. It's too big for you. He's like you screw this up. You'll be writing parking tickets for the rest of your life. Just, and you can tell this is not who he is and he's, he's, he's trying to be a hard ass. And I, I, I just love him in general. I love him in this role. Uh, yeah. So I went Alan Arkin as, as my sixth man, uh, Corinne, which way did you go? Yeah. I, I, so I love Alan Arkin. I was just going to mention, I love when he starts explaining who he reports to and he he's like, well, there isn't a commissioner. There's a, there's a, there's a committee and some are elected and some are appointed and it's more of a quorum and Tony's like a quorum and it's just the delivery. Oh my gosh. So good. Um, so yes, I, I really, really loved Alan Arkin. I, I loved Phil Hartman. I still, I have to go Brenda Fricker. I really okay. think she was the heart and soul of this movie. And I loved her. I, I loved her. I, I want to be her when I grow up. She was the best. All right. So we have an Instagram poll because we don't have one for MVP because we all picked Myers. <laughs> right. We got a little poll. Will it be a, a two-person poll or a three-person poll? Brandon, which way did you go? It's going to be a three-person poll. Anthony all right. Paglia, Tony, he, he's my sixth man. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously... Um, it is Charlie's story, but if it wasn't for Tony, uh, the story wouldn't have progressed as well as it did. Uh, I mean, just the tension, other than Charlie figuring out uh, before the phone call cuts off that he is with Mrs. X. Uh, <laughs> the whole journey Tony has to go through just to even try and get to the hotel and knowing, you know, whatever happens to Charlie in the interim, he is the only one that could save the day. So, uh, I mean whether it's not being able to commandeer a vehicle uh, by Charles Grodin, uh, surviving a helicopter late at night with Stephen Wright, <laughs> getting through hotel security, and then finally uh, almost saving the day. Um, yeah, he's my sixth man. Yeah, no, can't, ar- can't argue with any of those picks. All, all great. Every supporting role in this movie was funny. There was really, there was really no wasted scenes, no wasted actors. It was just great from start to finish. Love this movie. Glad you were both here to cover it for us. On that note, why don't we go into Corinne? What's something good you watched this week? So I am on a mission to see all the things that were on cable when I was a kid and didn't have cable. And so this week I saw Top Gun for the first time. Um, So yeah, last night watched Top Gun. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and I really appreciated how they they got two songs and they leaned in on those two songs as hard as they possibly could. Um, so that was fun. Um, so that was my everyone has seen this but me movie. Um, my I don't think anybody has seen this but you should movie was something called Dave Made a Maze. Have you heard of this? I have not. So oh, okay. More. It's a little indie. Um, it's on Prime and okay. I think it might be on Peacock as well. Um, so essentially the concept is there's kind of a, a slacker artist who decides to build a labyrinth in his apartment that he shares with his girlfriend. And so she comes in from out of town and he's lost in the labyrinth, um, which looks like a pile of boxes on the outside and is much larger on the inside. Um, And so hilarity ensues. Visually, it was one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. It was it was very neat. There's a lot of booby traps within the labyrinth um, that they encounter when when a whole team of people comes in to try to rescue him. Um, So it was fantastic. Dave made a maze. I can't recommend it enough. Who's who's in this? Um, it's, hold on, wait. Um, it's Nick a, Thune. Nick Thune, yes, is the main oh, okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a bunch of different comedians. Like, it's, okay. it's fantastic. So yeah. Came is out this and- a, an Amazon original or just a movie you found on Amazon? Um, it happens to be on Amazon, but I think it was released in theaters. Um, it was at like the Omaha Film Festival and stuff. Okay. So, um, yeah, it came out in 2017. Um, I looked up the production company. It's Gravitas Ventures that do does indies, but they did a lot of my favorite um, documentaries. They did uh, um, Abducted in Plain Sight. They did okay. Sound City with the Foo Fighters. Like I know, yep, yeah. So it's just it, it's it's fantastic. Dave made a maze. Can't recommend it enough. Okay, I 
I will try. I'll try to get to that soon. My gro- my list grows. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what about you? What's something good you watch this week? Um, I kept my week pretty much sports related, especially being a football fan and this. Being, yeah. Uh, week three, which took me a while to remember that there's only three pre- uh, three preseasons and that's yep. seventeen regular season. Um, but I, uh, being from Detroit, had to watch the uh, third Hard Knocks with the Lions training camp. I got to catch up. I'm two weeks behind, but yeah, I watch hard knocks every year. Oh yeah, definitely. I think Arizona is the regular season team. That I didn't watch the regular season last year. So for me, it's hard knocks is your appetizer. And I'm like, there's no football going on right now. I, I love hard knocks, but like when the in-season one goes on, I'm like, I'm, I'm watching actual football. And so it's tough to like transition back and forth. So I watched, I watched the first Colts one last year. And then I was like, okay, there, there's like actual football going on. That's just me. I, I they they got a second season, so I would imagine more people watch it than don't. But the, it's the Cardinals this season. I believe so. Okay. And then um, I've been leaning into the uh, Untold series on Netflix. It's it's essentially they're like thirty for thirty type docs. Okay. Um, but they came out with some really good topics. Uh, I think on the sixteenth, the Manti Teo. Uh, episode yes. dropped uh, last week was the rise and fall of and one basketball. If anyone remembers, uh, yeah, great in those tapes. And then, um, yeah, c- came out today uh, the Tim Donaghy story, the uh, uh, unfortunate basketball rep who was uh, caught betting on his own games. But that was some, that was a very great story. I remember that story breaking, and I was like, "This can't be real. This is like a, the scene of, out of a movie." I'm surprised they haven't made a movie yet. Oh, I think it's, it's still in the pre-production phase on the IMDb page. Okay. So. Right next to Austin Powers 4? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, be, yeah, those are all Tim Donahue, I remember. I remember N1. I remember, just remember The Professor. Oh, and yes. everyone saying, like, The Professor should be in the NBA, but it, that probably wouldn't work out. No, but I'm going to finish the week with uh, one last sports series, and that's The Legacy on Hulu uh, about the Lakers franchise. Okay. So I've been seeing a, a fair amount of that, uh, taking ad breaks with uh, their uh, Mike Tyson uh, series, Mike, which is yeah. pretty good. So the Lakers series, is that basically winning time, but real? Yes. Okay. All right, cool. So yeah, I'm in. I watched the, I don't know if you saw, there was a Magic Don- Johnson documentary on Apple. Apple, yes. Yeah. A couple months ago. And that, that was really good. I watched that. So yeah. All right. So I'll go, I'll go movie TV. Uh, we're covering Face Off next week. So I, I had a Nick Cage blind spot of mine and that was leaving Las Vegas, which he won an Oscar for in 95. I had, I had never seen that. And I don't know that I'll ever see it again, <laughs> but I really, I really enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a great movie. It was a great performance, which we talked about Elizabeth Shue. I, I have no, I don't think I'm ever confusing her with Nancy Travis again after seeing this, because this was probably her best performance. She was nominated for best, uh, best actress in this. I think she lost to Susan Sarandon that year for dead man walking and Cage is simultaneously unhinged yet restrained. He plays a guy who is an alcoholic. He's estranged himself from his, his ex-wife, his son. He's just a mess in this movie. Have you both seen this movie? Am I the only yeah. one? Oh. Went and see? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he's a mess. It's just it's really uh, just a, uh, a well-done portrayal of alcoholism and how it not, da- not only damages the individual but the people around him like nobody wants anything to do with him at this point and he befriends this prostitute played by elizabeth shoe who just kind of accepts him for who he is but at this point he's left he's been fired from his job he goes to vegas presumably to die and so he's just like i have about two months to live before this alcoholism kills me and he's just he's wild in this movie and this was kind of what gave him like free reign to just do whatever you want and then he followed this up with the rock on air face off. And then, you know, we were into the, the cage meme zone at that point. But I, I really like this movie, not a rewatchable by, by any stretch. It's not going to be my, my, a joy watch on like a random fall day. So it, it was very deep, uh, very heavy. Uh, but I, I did watch it to kind of give, have a little more perspective going into the face off pod next week. But Brandon, you said you've seen this before. Sure have. It's a one and done. You just yeah. See it, you saw it and experience it. Um, and that's all you need. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it, it was tough. Not not an easy watch. Corinne said you hadn't seen it. I, it's not it's not anything I'd I'd push aggressively. Like, yeah, you, you guys are not doing a great job selling it to me. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I love a good hard bummer once in a while. So yeah. I think when I'm in the mood for that, I will definitely check sure. it out. But um, yeah, maybe maybe not yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the TV, I've been really getting into uh, Bad Sisters on Apple. That's on and my this, list. It's really good. So this is uh, starring. Sharon Horgan, who I think I think Brandon, we've talked about catastrophe in the past, or am I? No, no. okay, it was someone else. Yeah, okay, yeah, uh, catastrophe. She's been in a lot of good British comedies. Uh, catastrophe. She was uh, the sister in This Way Up. So she's she's somebody who's been around, and I've never seen her in anything bad. She's the star of this. She's also the EP, and it's about five sisters. One of them is married to this shit heel abusive asshole played by uh Clias bang who's certainly not a household name but he played the villain in the northman and we're going back and forth brandon i know you watched we own the city oh yes so it's the same exact story structure where we're in present day and then we're going to the past in oh. like they they actually like they have a screen that just rewinds so we know we know the viewer knows when we're in the past so we're going from present day to six months the the first scene in the show is this guy's funeral. He's dead. We know he's dead, but we don't know what happened. We had, there's an insurance agent. He's looking into these sisters because his insurance company is going to go bust. If he has to pay out this claim, those life insurance claims. So it's, it's kind of comedic in that way. He's playing an investigator. He's playing investigator, even though he's not an investigator, he's an insurance agent and he just needs to pay out this claim, but he's investigating this sister, these sisters who may or may not have killed this man. And, it's just, it's really 10 episodes. So we're only three in. So there's a lot of story to tell. No idea what's going on. I feel like it's going to be something that uh, what is actually happening is not at all what I think. So that's what I like. And this is, you know, I'll take, I'll take an opportunity to shit on Netflix here. This is, you know, I'm waiting for this every week now. This is like my Thursday night when this hits. If this was Netflix, I would have probably watched all 10 episodes over the course of a day. I would have just shut out, shut everything out. And I would have forgot about this show already by the time we got to this podcast. Um, so this is something, you know, to look forward to, to talk about. This is why I'm, I'm anti binge model, but yeah, I, I'm enjoying the show. I, I know it's on your radars or you've heard yeah. of it. Apple doesn't it. miss. No, so, not really. Yeah. And not even, maybe. even they've had some things that like didn't work for me, but I was like, this isn't bad. It's just, you know, it's, it, you know, I, it's just not for me. I wasn't like, I never came out of anything from Apple saying like, Oh, this is terrible. It's just, you know, they're definitely a, uh, uh, a quality over quantity approach, which, you know, once again, Netflix doesn't, doesn't really subscribe to. Um, yeah. When they put out something, it's usually good. I probably, I want to say like 10, 10 of the best things I've watched over the last year have, have been on Apple show wise. So yeah, just a really solid streaming service. This is a really solid show that I, I recommend. Well, three episodes in, you know, that could change, but I doubt it. I, I think this is going to be a, a good, I think it's going to be a home run for them. Do you remember what day those episodes fall on? So they're advertised Fridays, but one thing I've discovered oh, so is that most Thursday of these streamers, nights they, at nine. <laughs> yeah, they put their shit out Thursday. It's just, so I'm waiting for that. I know I'll post something. I, I was posting like For All Mankind, like Thursday at 10, and somebody would comment on it like, oh, that's supposed to be tomorrow. I was like, yeah, but they always they always kind of drop Thursday nights as just like a little surprise. Unlike Disney, I think I was watching. I'm not like endorsing the show, but She-Hulk, it, which Disney usually had their Marvel shit on like Wednesdays. And now this one's on Thursday for some reason. It just seems like, you know, you get a bunch of suits in a room and you know, just because they have suits on doesn't mean they're necessarily smart. It just <laughs> I'm furious about the switch in night because I can't tell how many episodes of She-Hulk in are we? It's like however many there right. are. Yeah. That's how many I've been like, Oh, it's, it's Disney plus night. And then it isn't. <laughs> and I just, yeah. It gets me every, which is probably more of a testament to me than, than Disney, but yeah. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Just weird, weird decisions all around being made. All right. So yeah, some good wrecks all around there. Corinne, where can we follow you at? Um, so I literally was just pulling up Instagram cause I can't remember. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm never on Instagram, but I am sure. on Twitter, um, at C dubs two six. Um, okay. so if you like sassy comments and a lot of, uh, leftist political retweets, then I'm your gal. <laughs> so <laughs> check it out. <laughs> sure. Uh, Brandon. 
Yes. I know you had a a letterbox the last time, or you were making one. Yeah, I I made a Twitter. Uh, All right. I I should have done this much earlier in my life. Uh, So, how are you liking Twitter? Do you regret it? Are you mad? I I can only regret it if if it's my fault. So, (laughs) what what I've learned to do, I have to budget it to like looking at it three times a day for maybe five, 10 minutes each time. Or else I'll be on it for four hours, and then I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, about yeah. Uh, at the champ loves you for Twitter and Instagram. All right, cool, cool. Look forward, look forward to that. Um, you can find me at the same handle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. That's at ddem2000. We have an Instagram and Twitter for this show as well. It's at was it that bad pod. Uh, we'll, we post polls, quizzes, show updates, et cetera on there. We have a six man poll. We, we don't have an MVP poll this week because we all picked the same one, but the six man poll will, will go up on our IG stories and you can vote on that. We do stuff like that every week. So give us a follow there. Um, and if you like this movie or any other movie, want to talk about it with myself, Corinne or Brandon, you can join the movie and television talk Facebook group. Just type that into a group search, and we are the red cover photo. In the next two weeks, we have a couple of good ones coming up. We're going to be covering Face Off next week. And then in two weeks, we're going to go a little 19, late 90s teen film, and we're going to go Cruel Intentions. So we got a couple of good ones coming up. Uh, either of you, any quick thoughts on either of those films? I've never seen Face Off. That's another okay. one that everyone has seen on cable except for me. I, this, I've, how many sentences can I start with? I've never seen it. Um, Cruel Intentions was formative. I, I graduated yeah. from high school in 2000. So all of those 90s teen movies were yeah. like emblazoned. And when you talk about a soundtrack and you think about, I mean, Cruel Intentions is synonymous. Great with, soundtrack. Yes. And so, I mean, it's just the, the song from... Um, the verb right isn't that yeah yeah the yeah one. bittersweet Apparently, symphony they have no they have no uh financial rights to that movie that song really? because it, was, it was written by mick jagger and keith richards so oh. they're allowed to keep playing it but they never get a dime from it fascinating okay yeah so that was um i i just i can't extricate the, the song in the movie in my head but it was yeah. it was great it was the perfect kind of scandalous movie as a you know 17 right. year old or whatever watching it yep Loved uh, it. brand any thoughts on either of those uh I really, really do love uh, John Woo and then Face Off. Yeah. Having, instead of having like uh, certain actors cross over and do different genres, having different uh, directors from different countries, especially in the 90s and 2000s and the action and martial arts genres come and work with American actors. It, it is a wonderful movie in my eyes. And Cruel Intentions, um, I remember really liking it when it first came out. And I remember re-watching it later in my life. I'm like, oh, that's Dangerous Liaisons. I never knew that. <laughs> I've never seen Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> I, I have a while ago. <laughs> kind of like a little like precursor. You might think of these characters as like the young Roys from Succession. <laughs> All right. So great job. Thank you, Corinne. Thank you, Brandon, for joining me tonight. This has uh, been a great show. Love talking about this movie. Thank um, you. And you got it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you all next week. Mm-hmm.